morning is from John 8, 12 to 30. It's a long one, so bear with me. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him, Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true, because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am the one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, Where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Once more Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you, they asked. Just what I have been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy, and what I have heard from him, I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. Here ends the word of the Lord. Good morning, friends. Welcome. It's lovely to be uh, Would you agree with me that we are a nation who knows what it is to long for light? In 2008, is, that's when our load shedding began, and I, I, was, I went on a mission to Zimbabwe where they, where they were old hands at load shedding. And I spent time with a farmer, a wonderful Christian man, um, who had recently been expropriated, and he said to me, you South Africans, you're so funny about electricity. He said, will you stop wanting South Africa to be Europe? If you don't have electricity, shut up and buy a generator. And I thought there was such sort of, he was so sensible. He had such a wonderful view of the world and such an incredible trust in God. I think the thing that, that threw us in, in 2008 as South Africans and that caused a great wave of emigration when we started having load shedding was not just the actual experience of not having electricity, but the metaphorical darkness that we all feared. It was a sign of something else, wasn't it? 
that we were headed in a particular direction that was a new thought for many of us. And I want to say this morning that metaphorically, we long to be in the light. Everyone all right? Okay. We want to see clearly. We want enlightenment. We want to understand. We want to think clearly. We want to know how to live. We want to know how to act. We want that for ourselves. We want that for our children. Now, we live at uh, the end of the Enlightenment, where human reason is supposed to help us break free from darkness. Uh, what the Enlightenment has given us is the doctrine, the well-accepted and unopposed doctrine that technology and scientific progress will help us solve all of our problems. Enlightenment in the West uh, comes by education and reason. It's human thinking that will bring light Enlightenment in the East is looking within to find enlightenment. The squashing of individualism, the dulling of senses, and the suppression of appetites. And then you'll be enlightened. And it's into, into a context like that where we hear Jesus' words this morning in verse 12, some of the most well-known words in the Bible, I am the light of the world. It's an interesting thing. In this chapter, Jesus refers to himself. He uses the first-person pronoun 45 times. It's one of the passages where observers could be excused for thinking that Jesus had a God complex because he talks about himself all the time throughout the passage. And what he says is inflammatory. In verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. If somebody said that today, you would consider them to be a cult leader, wouldn't you? At best, uh, at worst, maybe somebody in need of medical attention. In verse 19, he says, if you knew me, then you would know my father. Extraordinary claim to make. In verse 23, he says, you are from below, I am from above. You are from this world, I am not of this world. And when you think about it, Christians are used to these words because we know Jesus and we accept that he is God, in fact, and we worship him as God. But if, you, if you're coming in as an outsider, try and put fresh ears on, you realize how inflammatory these remarks are. Verse 12 must be one of the most famous sayings in the Bible, certainly in, in the book of John, I am the light of the world. And Jesus uses uh, the, the metaphor of light, and it's an evocative metaphor. For light, besides bringing clarity and, and visibility and enabling life, it has an Old Testament background to it. Um, Verse 20 tells us that Jesus is speaking uh, in the temple um, at one of the great, the three great feasts that the Jews celebrated in their calendar. Jerusalem would have been swarming with pilgrims. And Jesus stands in the temple on the last and the greatest day of the feast. And then he sits in the treasury, we are told, which was the most public part of the temple during the Feast of Tabernacles, as it was called, a feast that was designed, that is still celebrated today, that was designed as an annual reminder of the Exodus, uh, sometimes called the Feast of Booths. 
when, you know, today they build little shelters outside in the garden and um, as a reminder of the tabernacle and the tents that they lived in in the desert. But the other thing they did in Jerusalem and in the temple is that they, lo- they lit great torches, sort of fire pits. Can you imagine that in your, in your mind? Um, and they were supposed to symbolize the fact that God led them by fire. Do you remember that in the, in the Old Testament? In the Exodus, by night they were led by a pillar of fire. And so Jesus is saying these words. He probably could have felt the warmth of those fire pits. He was so close to them. And uh, it, was, it wasn't a, an abstract statement, I am the light of the world. When Jesus does it, you can imagine him pointing to those great fires, those torches. It would have been more abstract for those um, that are listening. And so this um, light of the world picture is really a picture from the Exodus. Do you remember when God led you by fire? I am the light of the world. And so it creeps into the Old Testament. Um, Look at this verse from Isaiah 42 and verse 6. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. There it becomes a symbol of God's presence with his people. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Seven times in John's gospel, Jesus uses the formula, I am. Provocative in and of itself, if you are a Jew, for that is the name of God. They were forbidden to say it. I am. They were forbidden to write it even. And yet Jesus says, I am the light of the world, chapter 8. I am the door, chapter 10. I am the good shepherd, chapter 10. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life, chapter 14. I am the true vine, chapter 15. I am, I am, I am. And actually in today's passage near the end um, of what Stella read for us, verse 28, if you've got your Bibles open or if we can find it quickly on the screen, I want you to notice, so Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, but actually in the Greek it just says, then you will know that I am. And so Jesus is, is, is provoking. Jesus is making astonishing and extraordinary claims in this passage. The structure of the passage is quite difficult to get a handle on it, I've been wrestling with it all week, but it's really a dialogue between Jesus and the Pharisees. There's a statement by Jesus in verse 12, then an accusation from the Pharisees in verse 13, then an answer from Jesus in verse 14, and that kind of gets repeated. Question, answer, statement, accusation. But let's, let's look at it under three headings this morning. First of all, Jesus brings light to show us God. Jesus brings light to show us God. I am the light of the world, verse 12. And in verse 13, they they ask whether what he's saying is true. The Pharisees challenged him, here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. In Jewish law, you had to have two witnesses in order for something to be taken as gospel truth. You saying you're the light of the world, but who else says it? 
Jesus answers by saying that his words are true because they are backed up by his Father. He's not the only one saying it. And so look at verse 16. I do not judge. My decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your law, it's written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. And in verse 19, they demonstrate their darkness. Where is your father? Uh, perhaps we can go, is he in Jerusalem somewhere? Maybe we can go and meet him and talk to him about this claim of yours, that you are the light of the world. Perhaps he can confirm some things that you are saying. And then look at what Jesus claims in verse 19. If you knew me, you would know my father also. You do not know me or my father Jesus replied, if you knew me, you would know my Father. In other words, I've come to shed light on who the Father is. Look at me and you will see what God is like. The only way that they can know God is through Jesus. Now, that, that was blasphemy in their day. And do you know, it's as close to blasphemy as you get in our day as well, isn't it? The only way to know God is through Jesus. How do you think that's going to go down in the humanities faculty on our campus? The only way to God is Jesus. Every single other way is illegitimate and wrong and unenlightened. It is no less incendiary, that statement, I will show you the Father today than it was in Jesus' day, perhaps for different reasons. But it is one of the great myths of our world today, the culture that we swim in, uh, that you can know God in your own way. You know, you go through Jesus, that's fine. I'll find my own way, thank you very much, and don't try and impose your way on me. It's so intolerant. There are many paths up the mountain, aren't there? Um, I commune with God while I'm surfing. You commune with him through Jesus. I do it while I'm on a hike in the mountains or in nature. Um, or you can see it in the oft-repeated comment, well, we all actually are saying the same thing. Can't we just get along and be civil and not be too precise about how you get to the Father? But I want you to understand that Jesus is not interested in coming across as being tolerant. Verse 19 is an absolute claim. You do not know me or my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He's going to say it in a stronger way later on in chapter 14. We mustn't um, domesticate Jesus and turn him into a 20th, 21st century tolerant postmodern. There can be no doubt that Jesus' view of himself was that he came to reveal God and only him. So you've got to take Jesus on his own terms. We can't pick and choose the bits of Jesus that are a little bit more comfortable to live with than the others. For these are hard words in his time and in ours to swallow. But that's what it is. The light that Jesus brings is knowledge of God, his Father. It's the only place to go if you want to know God and have light in your life and, be, and live an enlightened life. You can't bypass Jesus to get to God. 
Verse 16, look at what he says. Um, I stand with the Father who sent me. Jesus is the emissary of God. Uh, verse 18, the Father vouches for Jesus. I am one who testifies. My other witness is the Father. And verse 28, near the end, Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. Me and the Father, we speak with one voice. And so Jesus, who, who calls himself by God's special name, I am, claims to speak for God, and you can't get around it. He claims to be God. And so Jesus brings light to show us God, but Jesus brings light also to show us ourselves, secondly. And you can see this really in the opening statement, which I think is the, is the main verse in our passage this morning, verse 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. There is an assumption that is built into that great I am statement. And the assumption is that without Jesus, we remain in darkness. All of humanity is in darkness apart from Christ. There is no light apart from Christ. We walk in darkness. Oh, you might be a very successful person apart from Christ, as the world judges success. Apart from Christ, you can still have a good name, you can still have a wonderful family, you can still be a respectable person, you can still have lots of money in the bank, but spiritually you are in darkness. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, says Jesus in verse 12. It's worth just thinking about that for a bit longer, isn't it? For we are all followers. We all follow somebody or something. It's a philosophy or an ideology or an ideal that we have for ourselves. Maybe it's an influencer in your life or a peer or a fashion. We all follow something or someone in our lives. It's the human condition. We seek something to be part of or someone to follow. From the youngest age, we do it. We live in a world and swim in a sea where we are encouraged to follow ourselves and our own hearts. Uh, some of you are old enough to know what good music is. In the 90s, Sting brought out a song called My Soul is My Pilot. Do you know the song? Some of, there's, there's some educated people in the room here. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it was one of, his, uh, one of his hits, a wonderful song, musically. But that really is the cry of our generation, my soul is my pilot. Jesus says, your soul is darkness. If you don't follow me, then whatever else you are following and giving yourself to, it's darkness. Apart from Christ, we are cut off from God and we cannot have light. Light exposes us. It exposes the heart of humanity. Apart from him, we have no access to light from the outside. 
Look at how he puts it in verses 21 to 24. They're fairly devastating words if you see them as applying to yourself. Um, Three times Jesus says that unless we follow him, that we will die in our sins. Verse 21, once more Jesus said to them, I'm going away, you will look for me and you will die in your sin. That's where following your, if the, your soul is your pilot, that's where that leads to. Uh, he says it again twice in verse 24. He says, I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. In case you didn't get the point. Three times in three verses. Twice Jesus says in these verses that left to ourselves we are unqualified to be with God. Verse, the second part of verse 21, where I go, you cannot come. And verse 22, um, this made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? And so, without Jesus and left to ourselves, following our own soul as our pilot, we are separated from God. We can't be with God. Verse 23. You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. It's a fairly devastating light to shine on us. This is why it's not advisable on your first date to take her to McDonald's because a candle lit dinner everybody looks gorgeous <laughs> but in McDonald's the lights are so bright that you see every floor because light reveals us for who we are and here is the light that Jesus brings if you do not follow me if you do not accept me then you are from below and I am from above and you will die in your sins. Very, very intolerant and hard words to hear. Light is truth. It reveals what's going on. Here's my final heading this morning. Jesus brings light by dying. Jesus brings light to show us God. Jesus brings light to show us ourselves. And Jesus brings light by dying. This part of the conversation ends in verse 28 which is a reference to his death. Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. When Jesus talks about himself as being lifted up in John's gospel, he's not talking about being lifted onto a throne. He's not talking about being lifted up onto people's shoulders in a victory parade. He is talking about being lifted up on the cross. When you have lifted me up, you will see that I am, literally in verse 28. In John's gospel, lifted up is always a reference to the cross. It comes three other times in John, in chapter 3, verse 14, in chapter 12, verse 32, and in chapter 12, verse 34. And it is a hark back to Numbers 21, where, do you remember the snakes sent into the Israelite camp in the desert for their disobedience to God? the poisonous snakes, and Moses cries out to God on their behalf, and God says, make a snake out of bronze, put it on a pole, and anybody who's been bitten who looks at that, lift up the pole, they will be saved. And so that is being referenced here, 
the bronze snake of Moses. Again, a reference back to the Exodus when God did his most well-known rescue before the cross. And so when I am lifted up on the cross to rescue, to save, then you will see that I am. Then you will see the light. For at the cross, Jesus' light is seen at its brightest as the light of the world momentarily extinguished. But dealing with sin and dealing with wrath and dealing with the devil and dealing with death. And so Jesus wants us to look to him to save us, lifted up on the cross as he carries the sins of the world. And as we do that, we become enlightened. The fog of darkness is lifted as the piercing light of God lights up our lives. And many of you in this room this morning have had that experience, haven't you? Before Jesus, you know you were in darkness. It was a good description, actually, of your heart and of your life. It doesn't mean that you were the worst that you could have been morally or anything like that. There was just darkness in your heart. As you tried this and you followed that, and each thing led to a dead end. And then Jesus shone his light, and he brought order out of chaos. The darkness of our rebellion against God cuts us off from God. It leaves us blind and clueless and directionless on the road to dying in our sin, on the road to destruction. But Jesus doesn't leave us like that. He dies and is raised, and a beautiful ray of light shines through the fog into our hearts. I wonder if you've experienced that. I know many of you have but not everybody necessarily. As the darkness of sin is lifted, as we embrace the light of the world and forgiveness comes to us and we are drawn into friendship with his Father. Has that happened for you? Do you know, uh, if it has happened for you, then you will know that uh, the difficulty of living like that, for when we freely choose Christ, we also choose to give up living according to our own light, don't we? We reject our soul as our pilot because we know that that's going to lead us down the road of destruction. And so let me ask you this morning, are you living in the light? Have you accepted the light of the world? If you have... Well, you are enlightened, not in a boastful way, but in a, a beggar telling other beggars where to find bread way. It's not because of anything that we've done that we are enlightened. It's not because of the amount of hours that we've meditated. It's because Jesus died. We can have that light. And we're going to remember it now together in 3D as we celebrate communion. And um, I want us to think as we eat and drink together and to respond to God in real gratitude for the light that has shone into our darkness. No matter what else is going on in our lives, we know God. We can have our sins forgiven. 
and we can live in the light.